the most important and most difficult to find and to replicate for us is the passion for the product to understand the customer needs. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit, and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's sponsor is Eva, the most intelligent Amazon scaling toolkit online. Amazon sellers need exact, quick-to-read profit reports. Many sellers already pay a lot of money for these. Eva has world-class finance analytics with crystal-clear graphs included at no extra cost. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers, averaging a 51% increase in profits. To get a 15-day free trial, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven, and eight-figure Amazon private label and custom product sellers, a subset of the amazing FBA family of podcasts. And I'm your host, Michael Vizi. Today, we'll talk about Amazon SEO, the oldest topic ever, but obviously just as critical as it's always been. We are talking, however, with a real expert, Alexis Lantanier, the, the chief operating officer of branded.com, which has a huge number of products that they run uh, the operations for, which gives them an incredible amount of in-house data. And therefore, what Alexi has to say is really worth hearing. So first of all, warm welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Michael. Good to have you with us. So where are you coming to us from? Uh, I'm French. And I'm live. Uh, I'm living uh, ne- near to Paris in uh, in Versailles, next Versailles. to Versailles. Uh, very grand, very famous yeah. uh, chateau. Absolutely, yes, the the place to be for bling. Back in yeah, for forever. So, how many brands and products? Let's start with this first question, just to clarify the level of authority that you bring to this topic. How many brands and products are you managing at Branded.com in total? So yeah, we I've been in e-commerce for, for a while now. I spent uh, more than a decade building platform, building e-commerce platform, both in uh, Europe, uh, Asia, and, and North America. And we started branded a bit more than a year and a half ago, first by acquiring brands that were existing. So we acquired four times of the founder of the brand are still with us. That's one of the specificity of branded. And, uh, and we have uh, thousands, uh, a few thousands of products now. Great. So that obviously means that you've uh, got a lot of data points or data points as people are obsessed with, but also you've got the insights that come from a lot of vigorous experimentation. So Amazon SEO, it's uh, the oldest thing that anyone's ever stressed about ever who sells on Amazon. What is the starting point for best practice for this? Where do we even start with a topic that's quite uh, technical and there's a lot of conflicting information sometimes flying around? No, I think that's exactly right, Michael. The, the key is to remove the conflicting information. So the the way we do that is is very mathematical. And actually, once you have the data, quite simple. So Amazon released more data now. We are able for each keyword to estimate the unit volume sold. Uh, that is given by Amazon now. On top of that, with spread analytics, you are able to know the conversion rate of the top products. So uh, you can estimate how many units they got. And then with ADM, then you can track all the keywords that are relevant to you, where you rank, and where your competitor ranked them. 
so competitor and people selling the same product. And with all that data, what you can do is basically estimate the volume of units sold per month for the product that you are interested in on the top 100 or whatever top you want, but top 100 is usually enough. And with that, you can actually get rid of all the conflicting information because with that, you have what matters, which are the most important keywords and how much more important they are than the other. This keyword is selling 100 units of my product. On this keyword, selling 50 units of my product. Hence, the first keyword is two times more important than the first than the second keyword. That makes the whole discussion about SEO way more simple, especially because the Amazon algorithm is quite simple. Contrary to Google SEO, for example, it's extremely complex. Rather, SEO is, is quite fairly logical and easy to understand, which is mostly based what you control. The part that you control is mostly based on the keyword stuffing, the way you put keywords in. Then there is the conversion part, which is obviously important. And for that, you need to create great content, an attractive product, good pricing, and so on. But if we think really SEO, obviously, we are just talking about what we control. And so you have this list of, again, 100 keywords usually, that's what we're focusing on. And then based on that, you can, you know, put the keyword, first you do the title, and you try to optimize the percentage of the total sales available that are in your title, meaning the fact that each keyword that are in your title, you account for the sale they are doing. And then you sum up all those sales on those keywords and say, okay, my title is covering 50% of the total addressable market on my product. And then you repeat because each section seems to operate differently from an Amazon perspective. So you repeat for the, for the bullet points, you repeat for the impress content, which we believe uh, is actually indexed by Amazon. And lastly, but very importantly, you can use what we call the alt text, which is the ability that Amazon gives you to create text on the image you put on your impress content, because this one is indexed for sure. And so you repeat again that operation. And so you try to maximize the percentage of the business for each of the section by adding the right keywords. So that's okay. the theory. You do that yeah. on one product. And again, the beauty, as you mentioned, the beauty of being a large group is that you can test on many products and then before impacting the rest of your business. And then what is very important to measure results. So you have, you take the picture and it's okay. My, right now, based on my ranking, so you put a weight on the ranking and you can estimate overall pre-changing my SEO. I can change your KPI, but what we look at usually is to be the top 10. So I'm in the top 10 covering 40% of the addressable market. I changed my SEO and now I am in the top 10 in 50% of my addressable market. Hence, my SEO was a good change, which is, it, it's, it seems logical and easy, but this is the, the major difference that we have something that is non-questionable. This is an improvement, which is something we... we Took quite a bit of time to, to figure it out. And actually, before Amazon released new data, it was impossible to do. It's something that is now feasible, I think, for the past three months. And, and it really changed our way of thinking about it because before it was always a bit hard to judge the impact. We were looking at the indexing of the keyword, but never really sure of which keyword were the most important. And I think for me, that's the, the huge game changer on SEO is to be able to really estimate which keyword are the most important. Okay. Wow. So there's lots to take on board. And as you'd expect from, a, from an operations expert, a lot of it comes down to detail. So uh, let me just try and break some of this down to, to give people a chance to absorb this. So the first thing is then the brand analytics use. So the change that's come about is that the brand analytics is giving us a conversion rate of the topics. And that's the change that you mentioned. That so that, no, that was here for a while already. That's what I that's thought. Yeah. Probably two years or three years. That's what no, I thought. What is, new, what is new is the opportunity explorer. 
which I believe is in the tab uh, growth and growth opportunity. So it's a tool that Amazon gives to help people to research product research because Amazon wants to push the seller to find your product to launch. And there you have an estimation of the average volume for any given keywords. And that combined with the uh, brand analytics conversion rate so that they give you for the top three percentage of sales of the top dollar keyword. With that, you can basically estimate, and it's rough estimate, but basically estimate if you're in the top 10, you probably have a conversion rate, or top three, you have a conversion rate of 6%, and four to 10, you have a conversion rate of 3%. We do it high level. It doesn't have to be perfect, perfect, because what matters is to rank the keyword against each other. So it doesn't have to be 100% perfect. It's more to, to have a, a solution to rank the keyword in terms of importance. Great. Now that's very good to be clear. So in other words, what you're saying is to everyone who's going, well, Helium 10 is not right. It doesn't show my exact sales and all those kinds of things. It's like, it doesn't have to be in absolute terms correct at all. It just needs to be relative to the values of keywords. That's, that's a very helpful. And as you say, that, that feels like a, whew, a weight off my mind in terms of what am I trying to achieve analytically? The barrier is relatively low. You want to rank order your keywords. Tell me a bit of what, so the Opportunity Explorer, which I confess I haven't personally used. I need to look at it as soon as I get off this call, really. But the average volume of keyword search volume, or, or does it tell you the sort of commercial value in dollars or, or euros? No, you need sold. You need sold. The unit sold. Okay, perfect. Yeah. But that's pretty much translatable to the conversion value. Yeah. That is really big. I'm ashamed that I hadn't spotted that. Obviously, it goes to show that I haven't been keeping an eye on brand analytics and revisiting it. So the point you made, though, as we're talking about this off air, a lot of people do this once when they launch a product. What you said is pre-SEO in the top 10 of 40% of the adjustable, total adjustable market now in the top 50% of TAM. That implies that you're doing this more than once. So do you think that's one of the keys? Is that what you believe is one of the missing people? Yeah, I think obviously there is there will be diminishing returns, but what we clearly see is that uh, keywords change over time for sure. Also, competitors find other keywords, and when they find them, then you can you know get information from that and identify new keywords that you didn't have in your list. And by the way, on on finding keywords, obviously you also have a PPC crowd match that gives you insight on new keywords too. And what I say here, I think it's important. We see that often is. As we always copy each other on the Amazon world, which is your good, that make this whole platform vibrant and very competitive, and as a result, great for, for customer. We also forget sometimes to be a bit creative and to go a bit beyond what the other are doing. So here, look for the keywords where only one competitor is ranked very well, and look for, uh, again, broad PPC that gives you a good conversion rate, good click-through and conversion rate on PPC on a keyword where you don't organically rank very well. That is often an indication of keywords that are under you, where obviously your the percentage estimation cell will not work at the beginning, so you will have to SEO it. So that's the ancient list, and, and we are back to the problem of how do you weight everything. So let's keep focus on having the keyword estimation volume and uh, prioritizing that based on that, but don't forget to add a little bit of extra keyword where it's harder to estimate the volume. But we could find some nuggets there of value. So keep a little bit of space for those. Excellent. Okay. So that sounds like a, a lot to take on board, but really reassuring uh, in a way as well. Um, tell me about, about the A plus content. So you get those are ones of the things that people argue about. Does it really affect ranking? Is it even worth bothering with versus spending the money and effort on some images for a new product line? For example, that would be the obvious types of choices. So what's the data that you're seeing in terms of the value and the impact of A-plus content? 
It's a good question. I think it's a difficult one. It's a very difficult one because obviously, contrary to SEO, where we are able to put in place a mathematical approach that is then repeatable. And so we can say with you know confidence, yeah, it works. And I repeat it and it works again. A plus is difficult because every time we do A plus for one product, it's different than what we did for the others. But it's much harder to say, okay, yeah, we have the secret recipe. It works every time. Clearly, it doesn't. Clearly, it doesn't. Then the beauty of Amazon is that they give you this tool of doing A-B test on, con- on A plus content now. And so as a result, you have to test it. So I don't have said any better advice than do the A-B test, wait for the four weeks. It's long, uh, but it's always very surprising. No amount of external check inside and so is worse versus the A-B test. And I tend to believe we have very good people with very good intuition in our teams and they often get surprised. So I think that's for me something that you have to do. No matter how, how confident you are, you have to go through this A-B test. And I don't have a secret recipe. Honestly, we don't have a 100%. I would say, honestly, 50% of the time we fail. Maybe slightly less than that now, but a good amount of time we discover that you know, it sounds logical, it sounds better, but it sells less. Yeah, as you said, there's no accounting for the market's actual behavior. And uh, yeah, you're right. I, I, that's the humility we've all got to learn. Which doesn't mean we give up creativity. What I love about A-B testing is that you come up with something creatively and that's the creative side and then you test it against reality and that's the analytical side, right? It's a kind of beautiful dance that we play in digital marketing. So yeah, I absolutely love the the fact that we've got A-B testing on the platform now is one of those things that I love personally. I, I think uh, if people aren't using it and you do, that's an easy competitive advantage. So that's beautiful. So for that reason alone, I guess that's reasonably concrete. So in terms of conversion rate, I presume that you're talking about, but the SEO side you're less confident about the values. Is that a summary that's accurate? No, exactly right. Exactly. You, you still right. have to be creative. And sometimes it works very well. I don't get me yeah, wrong. Of course. Yeah. And I'm just saying that there is no, I didn't find yet the secret sauce. We have a few tips and tricks and so on and put the, the product as big as possible and, and put lifestyle images and blah, blah, blah. this long list of uh, tips and tricks that you can Okay, well, in that case, I, that's a red rag to a bull. So I'd love to hear your list of tips and tricks. You don't need to give us all of them, but maybe a sort of top few tips for A-plus content because a lot of people will not have the imagination to do it. No, I, I would actually focus more on the image in that case, the main image. That's honestly where spending time and so on, I usually bring the more money for the effort. I think in the main image is, is really get the product as big as possible. So find the right angle to extend the product as big as possible. <clears throat> All okay. products that are giftable, make sure you add uh, the package to it and have a nice package, obviously, if you do that, which by the way, enable you to reboot on the image the few. So even if your package is not exactly saying that, making sure maybe you can increase the font. So you have a real package and then you have the package on Amazon. If you, for example, increase the font of the package on Amazon to to showcase the main message that you have on your real packaging. And uh, I think that's acceptable and that's very impactful. What else? Yeah, an interesting one is the mobile-friendly format, which I think is totally up by many of our competitors, which is the fact that for whatever reason, Amazon is, is doing a different size format. One is vertical, the other is horizontal for uh, desktop versus mobile. And so usually everybody tends to optimize for because that's what people work on. And so they check usually their product on desktop, but, but that doesn't optimize the size of their product and their image on mobile. Uh, so that's something that's very actionable and that I recommend to do to, to everyone because that's clearly a winner because a, a big majority of the purchases are, are made on mobile. Yeah, that makes total sense. And that's, it's funny to hear you say that because I've been 
begging my clients for several years to check everything they do on mobile always. And uh, so it's funny to hear that people still aren't doing that. It seems like an obvious thing, but it, it comes down to certain types of workflow that we do as sellers, which becomes separated for how we act when we pick up our phone and shop. When I pick up my phone and shop, it's click, done, and then it's over. Whereas when I sit and think about the listing for hours, I disconnect from that insight. So it's, it's interesting what you're saying there. Great. So what we've touched on, I guess, conversion rate. Now, obviously, when it comes to Amazon SEO, there is a sort of, what's the word, positive feedback loop in engineering terms. So if you get your conversion rate right, you're more visible. If you're more visible, you get more conversions. How do you uh, work on optimizing the conversion rate? Obviously, you said good images, great products, obvious stuff. Are there any sort of more, slightly more technical things or, or patterns that have emerged from across the many thousands of products you've made? I think retail, there is no, nothing that replaces a good product at a good price. And so I think we need to, although it's not, you know, always what the, the agency wants to sell, of course, but there, there is nothing that great product at a great price, nothing. So that is honestly what we are focusing on relentlessly, uh, the product quality, understanding the review, working with the, with the, the manufacturer and so on. And then on the pricing, obviously, it's uh, something that you look at your competition and you test. I think what we do usually, because we have more product and we can take more risk, is to test about pricing. Obviously, even more in this period where costs are increasing every three months, uh, we have to, to, to obviously test new pricing to be able to, to keep the profitability we need to exist. So yeah, I think uh, pricing is looking at the competition, testing the effect of coupon or coupon, testing the effect of prime, prime exclusive deal versus non-prime exclusive deal. Sometimes you get surprised and then having regular campaign. I think the ideal for us, the ideal pricing positioning is close to a psychological pricing. Creating enough margin to be able to run a campaign seven days every four weeks, and then add, ideally profitability to add a bit of a because that add extra visibility and extra catch to, to the eyes, and it's only used fifty percent of the time. So it's usually a, a good deal in terms of uh, impact versus uh, versus cost. So that's the ideal situation. Sometimes we cannot because the product is uh, priced and the margin structure makes it difficult to be at the psychological price with a coupon plus doing campaign every four weeks. So that's where we have to make trade-off. So very, very case-by-case -case basis, but that, that will be the ideal case. Yeah, I like it, but I think you make a very good point about enough margin it enables you to do certain uh, marketing efforts that you just can't without. And obviously everyone just wants the biggest margin possible, but when you're evaluating which products to put money into and which products are selling, which products aren't. I guess some products have enough margin in them to be able to try some marketing things out. Other products, I've got some clients like that in the mastermind, their margins are so thin that they can't do advertising. They can't um, run coupons. They can't really do anything without destroying their margin. So it's a, it's part of the picture that feeds back to capital allocation and, and resource allocation, right? Where do we focus? What products we reorder? What products we focus on? What products are we going to sunset? So talking of which, I guess that's a bigger topic, by the way, but staying within sort of Amazon SEO world, the other factor that of course feeds in, unlike in theory on the Google platform, for example, is Amazon PPC, which we all know feeds directly into Amazon organic SEO. So how do you approach PPC in the, the context of Amazon SEO you know, to get ranking? So for us, there is the... The key again is good product, good price, good ranking, finding your sweet spot. If you have a good sourcing, there is no reason you cannot find anywhere. You have good sourcing, good content. You should be able to find the sweet spot where your price is correct, your margin is okay, you have a good yard volume. If not, basically, it's a product failure. So you can do PPC like crazy to try to compensate for that, but it, it, it will not 
be sustainable. So you have to think about either setting the product, either finding the issue with your product. We don't believe it's sustainable to have a PPC above 10%, that was above 10%. Basically. Uh, so that, that that would be the trigger. We were like, okay, there is a problem with this product. I think that's, that's needed. And then BPC will be used for the launch or re-ranking when we think we are not at the spot we should be. Uh, so PPC would be a boost to get there, mostly obviously when we launch product. And then on all the, the most important keyword, PPC should be as limited as possible. And then PPC would be used for the long tail keyword where it's okay, we don't rank very well. It's long tail keywords, it's very incremental. It sells that we won't have anyway. Uh, and so that's very helpful. What we don't believe in is the systematic PPC on top keywords where we are supposed to rank if not our product meets, if that it means our product is not relevant. That, that's the big insight or belief that we have. Yeah. And I think what you've done there is just short circuited, probably a year of agonizing that a lot of people do, which is to say they are trying to solve a problem with a sort of, I guess, from a product so that in the narrow product space of one single product at a tactical point of view, which needs to be solved at a strategic point of view, which is to say, if there's no gap in the market at a certain kind of price point, that, that, that all the consumer's needs are being filled and nobody needs your product, then it doesn't really matter what you, if you hire magic elves and it still won't make your product sell profitably, right? So you can't use PPC to compensate for that. And I think you're absolutely bang on with that. And I've seen a lot of people spend months going round and round in circles before they come to that conclusion. So tell me a little bit more about, this is interesting where we're going with this. I can tell why they hired you as a COO, because your brain works at 10,000 miles an hour in a very logical way, very impressive. If I've got a product and it's on the verge of not viable, everyone has a sort of sense instinctively after a while about that, but do you have numbers or criteria where you decide if a product has failed and needs to be sunsetted? And how do you decide that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, we have a very simple approach, which is below 10%. Contribution margin, we could do a whole session about how you can create contribution margin to make sure you take everything into account. But basically below 10% margin, we believe that you know, there is no value in investing this product long term because we need 10% margin to just, you know, the cost of the people managing the product. So we don't count it in the contribution margin, but of course they are taking time off supply chain people, brand management people, marketing people, and so on. And also they will not, you know, below 10% margin, you will not be able to manage or take into account all the issues that can happen. There is a strain inventory, you have to take some inventory back, there is an issue with something, uh, you have uh, some time and other stuff that you need to liquidate. So if you do not just have 10%, it's just not profitable long-term to have this product for you. So it doesn't make sense. So that's basically when, when, when we are stuck at 10%, you reduce the price, trying to find our spot, did the PPC, did the price change, the water, everything we could for three months, basically. And we had 10%, then it means that the, the product has to be sunset. Which is, and that's where basically you're going to try to milk the remaining inventory that you have, if you don't have too much. And then if you have more than a year, I think that's where you need to accept to, to basically make no money and, and just get rid of the product. Yeah, that's a, a good sort of harsh reality check. Just remind us of contribution margin. Some people get, can, will argue all day about even the definitions of gross profit margin types. So just tell me what you guys define contribution margin in the simplest words you can. Yeah. No, I think the contribution margin is basically the money you get that is totally valuable, which means uh, if you stop the product, that the money you will not get. So it's what comes out of Amazon. Uh, so it's it's always revenue minus fee, minus fee, minus PPC, added to the product and so on. Don't forget to allocate any brand PPC that you do, any coupon costs that are usually 
outside. What are the other codes that I usually not counted? You know, that is it okay. You know, that's it. And then obviously the cogs, the freight, the duty. So that's it. Purely, purely very easy to allocate cost. I don't put any team cost on it yet, but everything that is 100% allocated to the sale of that product. If I don't sell that product, I don't have to spend that money. That's basically the definition of the contribution margin. So that's really the margin that this product contributes to the group and that enables to, you know, pay uh, my salary basically and the salary of the team working. Yeah. So that's what it is. And so below 10%, we don't think it's a viable product. Yeah. Okay. And I guess 10% feels on the lower end to me anyway. I guess that the average that most Amazon sellers I work with that think things are viable is more like 30 to 40%, but sometimes it's as low as 10. But if you're including PPC, then yes, you've got to be clear about that. So it's basically all your direct costs that you can attribute without actually going into overheads like team members or, or things like that. That's exactly. the sound of it. Yeah. Which sounds like an obvious question. Yeah, 10%, is, 10% is not our target. Uh, no, he's not. Yeah. It's, 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 it's the point is, where we say. The point where you kill it. We yeah. stop. Yes. Okay. So what is your target out of interest? So it's between 20 and 30. We don't really like to be too high. Uh, you know, we are buying businesses. Obviously, you always like to be the highest possible, right? So if we launch a product, we love the product to be 40%. But when we buy a product, we actually like it to be between 20 and 30. Because again, you know, 20, you're too close to the 10. And above 30, as everything is very competitive on Amazon and very transparent, it's too risky that the competition comes in and will push you to reduce your margin. So if you buy it, when you pay a company, a brand like we do, it's a multiple of the margin that we pay. So if the company margin decreases, as a result, we, we basically lost money. So that's why we are cautious, usually when the, the business profitability is above 30%. Yeah, interesting. And so the contribution margin, not the EBITDA, I guess. But yeah, that's very interesting. And that makes total sense. There, there is, in other words, a range that you can operate in. Below a certain amount, it's not economically viable. Above a certain amount, your competition will make sure that it goes back to that range below 30%. So this exactly. is self-correcting. Amazing. Look, this, there's tons that you could teach us, but I think to keep today's topic absorbable, for mere humans that don't have your kind of brain, we ought to wrap it up quickly soon. But have you got any final thoughts about SEO? Let's start with a final question. What classic, two questions actually. First of all, what classic mistakes do you see the brand owners coming to you in the SEO area that they've been making that you guys have to correct? Let's start with that. Yeah, mistake that we need as well. So the main issue with SEO is that you're overwhelmed with information. You say, hey, there is thousands of keywords that make sense to me. And you go for quantity instead of quality because, again, you don't have this analytics that tells you, okay, this keyword selling 100, this keyword selling 15, this keyword selling 20. And you tend to prioritize all of them and you prioritize as much keywords that are making uh, one unit amount uh, versus uh, the other one that are doing a thousand. So I think that's the because you don't put analytics to estimate the volume sold per keyword. So that's the number that I think that's the main mistake. Uh, by the way, we did at the beginning. Excellent. Yes. That's a really very good point. So treating everything as if it's equally valuable because of overwhelm, whereas in fact, I guess even if you just manage to identify the top 10 most valuable keywords in a niche or even top five, if you're feeling overwhelmed, that's probably more valuable. So that's a very good point. I'm going to go and revisit brand analytics because I'm clearly missing out on some really valuable information that they sneaked in there. So branded obviously is one of the places where, um, you're acquiring a lot of businesses, but you also work in a slightly different way with the brand. So we spoke to Patrick about that, Patrick O'Connell, who's obviously uh, sort of heads up your acquisition efforts to some degree. But what would you say to any anyone who's listening and thinks that they need some help with the operations? How does branded work together with business owners from an operations perspective? Yeah, I think we, 
Yeah, I think the, the the thing that we have that is hard for usual brand to to have is the the team in China managing the the, the sourcing and the supply chain and the logistic. I think that that's one thing that's very hard to replicate because it's you just need to have a team of twenty people in China, which is not easy to recruit and to to manage to find the right talents. So I think that's the one thing that we have that enables you know a company like Branded. Each time we buy a company, we reduce costs the cost of the supply chain overall by 10%, either with renegotiation, either with changing supplier, also by consolidation of our logistics to get full container and those kind of things. So that's yeah, definitely probably the, the most immediate lever that is straightforward to action when we acquire a company. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And just to clarify my understanding, just to reiterate what we spoke to Patrick about earlier, which is that you generally work alongside to have the CEO, the, the founder of the company, the CEO, stay on a CEO or the managing director for three years or so and they get a part of the equity which will hopefully grow over time so a little bit of a different way of operating and i have to say that as you say one thing we discussed before the show that we deliberately chose not to discuss is because it's hard for anyone else to replicate is exactly that thing you said if you can get 10 percent lower costs on your supply chain then you can beat everyone else all day because you offer a competitive price as you say great products at the right price is always the absolute you know, brutal truth of Amazon, right? It's an efficient market. So that in itself is worth worth the conversation with somebody about. So my understanding, and, and correct me if you're wrong, but Patrick was saying that you, you're looking for people doing three to $5 million a year plus with a market that could grow with unique products and you're really nailing a particular, the needs of a particular niche. That's what you're, that's what you're looking for in the businesses. Is that Definitely. And passionate people about that product. And that's, where is that? And as a result, to identify what's going to be the next winner in the market. Look, this has been um, really eye-opening for me. I, I think I need to go away and revise my SEO approach. Uh, it sounds like actually the nice news to summarize is that actually there's a lot of simplification that's going to come out of the other end of this process. It might take a bit of brain work in between. And, and we've got some nice concrete numbers on which to base decisions to sunset products, which is always a heartache moment. But I do believe that by sunsetting the wrong products, you give yourself the, the chance to work on the right products. And I, I think you've given me some fuel to go back to some some of my clients and, and sort of have that conversation, which is never fun, but ultimately grows their business. Alexis Lanterny from Branded.com. Final thing just remains for me to say many thanks for coming on the show and, and sharing your great insights into SEO today. My pleasure, Michael. Thanks for having me.